right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Solly here. Got a little bit of a different episode for you. We were actually hosting an event uh, this past weekend in Grand Rapids with our friends at the Fried Egg. It was a fantastic event. Thank you to the Mines uh, for having us out and for everyone that traveled from all over the country and all over the world. Even had some guys from Australia come in for the event. It was a blast. Turned out not to be a great week to be away from the all the electronic devices that are required to follow golf these days, but we made it work. A lot of the other guys are traveling. I managed to catch up today on this Sunday uh, with Kevin Van Valkenburg before he left London. He was over there covering the Live event. Uh, we did that early on Sunday morning, so prior to any of the PGA Tour golf that happens. You're going to hear that interview on the back half of this episode, and then we scheduled to speak with Jamie Weir of Sky Sports. He's a journalist with them, covers golf, covers uh, he's covered the whole live thing for, for quite some time and has an interesting perspective. We brought him in uh, to react to today's golf. Uh, Lynn Grant on the uh, Ladies European Tour slash GP World Tour, winning the mixed Scandinavian. We talked a little bit of Curtis Cup, a little bit of Brooke Henderson, a lot of Rory, and uh, a lot of live stuff with him. So live kind of permeates through this whole episode. It's kind of pretty impossible to talk about anything else uh, other than that in these in these times. And even what today meant in terms of you know how live affected it and, and the response to that. Um, was the crux of that conversation. So you hear that first, and then KBV. You may hear some overlap in some of the conversation. It was kind of unavoidable. They obviously didn't hear each other's interviews, but uh, wanted to get some different perspectives on the, on the episode as to all the current ongoings in the game of golf. I want to give a shout-out to our friends at Callaway. I've finally gotten my proper Rogue ST3 wood. I got the LS version. I used it uh, this past week up there in Michigan. Great ball flight with it. I, I'm really, really, really hesitant to say this on the podcast because I know what's coming next. But so far, it's not going left, which is a big fix for me. We've had a big issue with the, with the, with the lefts. We've also, uh, we announced this a few months ago, we have a limited edition collaboration with Callaway. We have a No Laying Up branded Callaway Rogue ST 3-Wood head cover. Uh, TC and Neil feeling nostalgic for the glory days of high school golf. You know, everyone remembers those big Bertha fuzzy head covers. They were all the rage. We made special No Laying Up ones. They're available for free with a purchase of a Rogue ST3 wood while supplies last. You can order one at CallawayGolf.com. Pick, you can customize your Rogue ST3 wood. And on the order summary page, which is the first page after checkout, uh, you can enter code NLU to add the head cover to your cart for free. Again, these head covers come free. They're an awesome little perk uh, to your Rogue ST3 wood. And uh, cannot say enough great things about this club. I'm very, very, very excited. Uh, to be using that into the future. So thanks to our friends at Callaway again, callawaygolf.com. Check out the Rogue ST3 would use code NLU to add the free head cover to your cart. Uh, without any further delay, let's get to Jamie Weir. So first time on the podcast, and guess what that means? One more time than one other person, if I may say That's a fantastic introduction. I love that. Welcome to the United States. Welcome to Major Championship Week. I'm very excited to be covering Major Championship Golf this week. Absolutely, yeah, compared to the last week we've had, which has been you know, a seismic week in the world of golf. But, uh, yeah, just it's so much to talk about. I don't really know where to start. Um, I, uh, you know, we talked with KVV earlier. We're going to talk some live stuff. I, I, it all kind of intertwines, right? So we'll we'll see wherever this takes us. But I think we can all say, you know, the PGA Tour is saved. Rory wins at the RBC, and uh, 
dunks on Norman and every like everything's everyone's going to come flooding back to the PGA Tour. None of the issues that were currently, <laughs> you know, issues going into this week are issues anymore. It's all over. Yeah, you know, I just tweeted it like a life affirming day for golf, not just the conclusion in Canada, but Lynn Grant absolutely decimating the field in Sweden as well. I know we'll get on to that, but if there are golfing gods, I don't know if they could have written it any better than today. You've got. Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas, who have been the two staunchest defenders, the two biggest cheerleaders for the PGA Tour, just going toe-to-toe down the back nine. Big Tony in there as well. Big Tony was there. Big Tony, got involved. Solo second. Dr- drained a massive part of the 18th and then didn't matter. Well done, Tony, for solo second. But, you know, the final three ball playing in 20 under par together. A mad crowds just ringing around the 18th green. Raucous. I mean, it could not have got... Jay Monahan must have just been watching with a massive grin on his face. Couldn't have gone any better for them. Very well-timed. It is a reminder that at times, PGA Tour golf can be very fun and interesting to watch. At times. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, also a... Ah, this thing should this should happen more often, or this doesn't happen often enough, right? It's one of the best tournaments we've had of the year so far, and it uh, it's a convenient time for us to not come on and say. I mean, if Alex Smalley would have came and run away with this thing this weekend, we'd be like, here's the issue, here's the major problem we have. So uh, at least at least we do have that with Monahan coming on the air. This incredible tournament, incredible finish, huge names at the top, all it, it you know. All of that, I still am resigned to like none of that really mattering in this whole grand scheme of everything that's happening. And we can get into that, but it really it boils down to very simply for me, it's either like you're willing to take the Saudi money or you're not. And like interesting competition happening here doesn't change anyone's individual decision in any of that, right? I don't think any minds were changed by today or, or any of that. I sort of liken it to like an election campaign, you know, in American terms, if you're going to vote Republican, you're going to vote Republican. If you're going to vote Democrat, you're going to vote Democrat. And there are very few people that are sort of waverers that sit in the fence that can be persuaded one way or the other. We know that some other guys are going to jump to live. We know that the golden geese, the PGA Tour, for now, Rory, JT, Spieth, Ram, Tiger, not that Tiger's playing much PGA Tour golf, but they're going to remain loyal. And it's just about how many of these big characters they hemorrhage to live. You know, Bryson, Marmite, love him or hate him, as you said yourself, he is box office to watch. He yes. is entertainment. And that is a big loss for them. You know, they're whooping and hollering, taking that ridiculous line at Bay Hill a couple of years ago and throwing his hands in the air and the fans going crazy. That's what the PGA Tour are missing by losing Bryson. Read divisive, even though Jerry Fultz says that the fans love him. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it's it's another loss because you need you need the villains as well out there, yes. don't you? So those that are going to go are going to go. Those that are going to stay are going to stay. But I think this was a massive two fingers from the PGA Tour today. The way that it ended up, Rory, who I'm biased because he's a fellow countryman, but I think over here you guys all love him as well. The guy that moved without Tiger, the guy that moves the needle wins the tournament in spectacular fashion. The fans are going crazy. There's noise, the atmosphere, and then you just compare it to that absolute shit show that we had these last three days in Centurion. As I tweeted, competition is better than exhibition. It really did feel like, uh, and it, flipping on the live, it felt like for 20 minutes, I saw it for 20 minutes, I'm like, okay, it's like watching the match on, on you know, whatever. It's, it's just an zero inter- juice. When an entertainment product, but just like the golf doesn't matter, and that is not going to make me want to tune in. But look, they they could have ended up with 
Mickelson, DJ, Poulter, Sergio, and you know, vying for the lead. One drops a shot, one buries yeah. it. But it, it so happened that they ended up with a tournament that just had abs was so flat as well. <laughs> Schwartz leads by a shot from Henny Duplessis after round one. Schwartz leads by a shot from Henny Duplessis after round two. Schwartz beats Henny Duplessis by a shot. You know, it just had no excitement at all. Schwartz taps in the winning pot. There's no emotion. It means nothing, does it? And that's where, you know, framing exactly what competitive golf is now a task of golf media. What means professional, you know, what does professional golf mean is what I find myself asking. And today is a win for the PGA Tour, but also I, I, I don't think all is rosy and fine. I mean, just watching it on TV, it was very much like some of the things that are huge issues with it reared their ugly head today of, you know, playing through or eye on the course, whatever they call it, on the 72nd hole of the tournament. Like, <laughs> By the way, that was a new experience for me. So I've, <laughs> I've, I've listened to this, I listened to your guys' pod for years and I've heard you, you know, when it gets to Amsterdam <laughs> talking about playing through. I'm like, I don't really know what this is because we're very lucky. Okay, I know I work for them, but Sky Sports Golf are very good about showing you all the shots that matters. There's very few ad breaks when it comes right down to the sort of nitty gritty of the tournament. Um, so today when I was watching it, and they go to an ad break just as Fino and JT are hitting their drives up 18. I'm like, sorry, not an ad break. It's there, it's but it's the silent it's and there's worse. adverts on. What was that all about? That's, now you know what we the issues that we're having oh with this thing. Oh, my God. I, it, 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 I randomly will get like once a month a message from somebody from the UK or Ireland or Europe in general that just say, like, hey, I'm in the States visiting. Totally see what you're talking yeah, about. Totally. Totally we see have a thing as well, about. which I don't know if you have over here, but we've got what's now called the Rolex R as well. So there's an R. It, it, they do it in big tournaments, major championships in particular, where there's, there's no ad break, breaks for an entire R. My God, it just makes such a difference. For the for our American listeners, he's saying our, not when he says, <laughs> when he says our, he's saying our. For our for our English listeners as well, they, they struggle <laughs> with that. Believe me. So uh, we get that sometimes for majors. Rolex will sponsor yeah, like yeah. an un, unsponsored hour or an uninterrupted hour. But it, it, I think the Jay visit to the booth, which we'll talk about some. Yeah. I think it messed up their whole production for the day. They had to go backwards and do the Aon Risk Reward Challenge. When they were playing the 17th, they had to talk about the 11th hole, which was very clear because that's right when Jay visited the booth and threw everything for a loop. But I want to just make sure we mention that Justin Rose bogeyed the 18th hole today to shoot 60 because it it may not be in the top 20 of interesting things that happened this past week. Bogeyed 16 and 18. Three bogeys to shoot 60. Like he legitimately could have shot. It was an easy setup, par 70 today. And he made three eagles. This was the best chance at 57. We'll see. Yeah, look, and a 62 for Rory with two three-footers missed as well and a couple of other putts. I mean, he passed the lights out all four days. But those, those, I still get nervous watching Rory stand over those little tiddlers. He did Please not get put in. good strokes on a few of them. He lost strokes putting today and shot 62. Is that right? Yeah. But he must have gained strokes putting Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He right? did on all the first three. And he was seventh in putting overall for yeah. the week. So, man, it just goes to show, too, how much stuff has to go right for you to win a golf tournament. And they ended up winning by two. But basically, coming down to it very much on the 72nd hole, he chipped in today. He made bomb birdies. Yeah. He hit so many good wedges today, which he had a little snide remark uh, at some point in his post round about how he's not a good, I guess I'm not a good wedge player or something like yeah. that. I'm like, all right, well, let's not get too cocky here. Like this has been an issue for many years. Yeah. One, one tournament at the RBC doesn't necessarily change that, but yeah, he, some freaking good golf, really good golf of he, uh, he birdied seven, nine, 10, 11, 12 and lost shot, uh, lost ground to Justin Thomas in that stretch. The two of them, yeah. uh, they, they played 12 holes together combined over that six. They birdied 11 of them. It's just, I mean, as I said, Jay Monon couldn't have ridden it any better, could he? And there's just, there's nobody that 
gets you on the edge of your seat when he's in full flight like Rory. Just He's just so thrilling to watch and he bounces down those fairways without a care in the world. That's the Rory that we saw when he was winning four majors in the space of three years. Um, and my goodness, let's hope he can sort of get back to that and this week, perhaps, fingers crossed. I know you were traveling today, but did you see the recoil on 10 when he tried to drive 10? I have seen it I since, have never yeah. seen that from yeah. Rory. Yeah. I, you know, you see it from Reed or you see it from Bryson or something when they're leaning, the JT will do it, but trying to drive the 360-yard 10th. He's playing with, he's, he's brimming with confidence now, isn't he? 188 mile an hour ball speed. Like that is, that's yeah. a little next level from him. And JT cannot dial up to 188. He tried to dial one up there and hit 179. Rory's just got a, a whole nother, he's always in control with driver, but a couple of them today, he was really, really letting them loose. It's the, fun to watch. There was a couple of snap hooks there as well on the back nine as well. But, but yeah, look, his game's in a really good place and fingers crossed he can just Put four decent rounds together this week at Brookline because it's been too long. I'm not falling for it. I know you're not, but I've said I live in constant hope. I know I'm too emotionally invested in the guy. It's going to break my heart again. I've been there. I've been there for many years, and I've just resigned. I'm going to miss the comeback. I'm going to miss when it happens. It'll be a surprise. It'll be a beautiful, (laughs) wonderful surprise. Uh, I fell for it at Southern Hills and just did not come true. But uh, yeah, Finau. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very happy to be doing this podcast with you tonight and not uh, not Tron and DJ and Randy because they would be, they'd be shredding him for missing the 5 foot of 15. Schadenfreude from those yes. three, I would imagine. Yeah. Bogey-free 64 after being tied for the lead going into the final round, and that probably that's not that's only happens to Finau where that's not good enough. But uh, It's fun to watch JT and Bones work. It, it is. It, they, they slowed the process down a little bit there on 16, and I uh, like the nugget from uh, Ian Baker-Finch that – Bones left the arena, the rink, if you will, to go see, go feel the wind and come back, and they were the only ones that kind of got that number right. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, you know, a little bit like the, the transformation that Ted Scott has had for Scotty Scheffler's game. No, I'm not saying that JT's game has been transformed by Bones, but if he gives you, saves you an extra shot in the space of four days, it can make the difference in a tournament, and it might have made the difference at Southern Hills, just having that experienced old head in your bag who's just been there, seen it, done it, got the T-shirt. Yeah, they're a great team, aren't they? How much of Jay's visit to the booth have you caught, and what did what did you think of it? So I've only seen the little one-minute clip that PGA Tour tweeted out, which I thought he got a little bit over-emotional. Is that the right term that I'm looking for? You know, it was very sort of from the heart. There were almost sort of tears welling in his eyes as he said it, and bringing up 9-11, like sort of the, that real sort of emotional blackmail for the players. I just... This guy's the the head of a you know huge sporting body, right? I, it came across to me as a little bit just overly emotional, bitter ex girlfriend kind of vibes. Yeah, a little almost, bit. Yeah. No, um, yeah, that that's the vibe I kind of get from the tour in general. They're taking this personally, uh, extremely personally. Yeah, and it, it is a betrayal. They've used that word specifically. They've said you know that some of the guys that are leaving are, are free riding, if you will. I, I appreciated CBS. Taking the time, have him in, and Nance asked really good direct questions. And I will say on the Saudi thing, Nance asked Nance brought that up and asked him directly. I don't know Did if he? they went over that, uh, you know, beforehand or whatnot, but that seemed like uh, you know the nine eleven connection seemed a little shoehorned in there and not like that mm-hmm. well explained. And in terms of the house is kind of on fire here, yeah. it was just kind of a weird campaign interview, right? And yeah. it just seems like you know a lot of people have been saying, "Where's Jay? Where's Jay? He needs to speak. Needs to speak." I've kind of been on the in, of the mind of like, if you don't really have a card to play, yeah, then there's not much benefit to going out there and and doing what he did today i don't think i mean do you think there was any win to be gleaned from that what 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 would you say if you were if you were his in his shoes oh i mean that's a tough question 
He's, See, there's nothing. To, there's, I don't I've think got, there's anything I'll, to say. I'll, 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 I'll think what he. I mean, I, I, I think he's in a very difficult position. It's you know, I know TC has said that he's been noticeable by his absence in recent weeks, building up to this first live event, and I would have expected him to be a bit more front and center as well. But as you said, it's a very difficult place to. What do you say? I mean, what do you say? And he's not a great politician, right? No. Some people are, get, are good at getting up there and painting a whole picture that might be very different from reality, but they'll make you believe it when you walk away from it. And I don't get that sense listening to him. And he doesn't have the charisma of, of Greg Norman. And I'm not paying Greg Norman a compliment there, but you don't get <laughs> you don't get to Greg Norman's position in life with have it without having a certain level of charisma, people skills, charm, and. Jay doesn't have quite. He's a really nice man, but he doesn't have that quite gravitas, that warmth that um, that Norman has. So he, he, I think he's in a difficult position. And what the next step is going to be is going to be fascinating. I mean, I'm sure we'll get onto that in, in greater detail. But today, I think if you were a golf fan and you're watching that broadcast, you would have wanted to hear from Jay Monahan. So I think it was probably the right thing to do. Yeah, I guess I'm. I'm again going back to what we mentioned in the beginning of it. Just comes down to, you know. He he brought something else up. He said, "I, I guess I would." He, he said, "I guess I would answer the question by asking a question: Why do they need us so badly? Those players have chosen to sign multi-year lucrative contracts to play in a series of exhibition matches against the same players over and over again." Yeah, and is he still calling it the Saudi Golf League as well? By the way, which I love. That's just I they, I think so. Refuses to refer to it as live to, golf. You know, he's like, I've heard it called live golf, and I've heard it called the Saudi Golf League. They, he mentioned that today as well, but. Uh, I would assume exhibition matches was a, a phrase that was chosen out of a myriad of options and, and a yeah. purposeful one and on the note cards of make sure you hit that one. And I think they're, what they're trying to drive is, you know, why do they need us so badly asking that question and kind of letting viewers in or le- letting listeners kind of reach their own conclusion of they need us because they need official World Golf ranking points, right? And as of now and as of what is standard for official World Golf ranking is it's going to take two years for that league to get those points and in two years' time, everyone is going to be out of the top 50 and out of auto-qualifying for all of that. The answer to that question is they need us so badly because they need to come over and play some events to yeah. keep their world ranking up. That's their last big bargaining chip, isn't it? Because they just cannot compete financially. So Not even close. That's one of their big bargaining chips. Um, Augusta could be as well, but you know this isn't Augusta's fight. I know Augusta are pro-PGA Tour, and Monaghan and Ridley will have a great relationship, I've no doubt. But it's not their fight. Masters want to have the best tournament possible, and they want to have their pomp and their ceremony and their green jackets there and the champions' dinner, and they want to have Mickelson and Garcia and well, maybe not so much Patrick Reed, but they want to have their past <laughs> champions all there, you know, in their green jackets on the Tuesday night. That, that's what the Masters is. Why would they get their, you know, why would they go and get involved in somebody else's fight? I, I, I don't see that as really until re- until lived was selling pimento cheese sandwiches <laughs> oh my god i mean that's another just it's <laughs> classic isn't it but yeah the official world golf rankings is their last real battleground isn't it that's fine for the likes of mickelson or dustin johnson garcia still got a bit of exemption as well for his 2017 masters win but i look at players like for example like taylor gooch here's a player who's pushing the top 30 in the world could legitimately be in the conversation for Ryder cups going forward 30 years of age, has won this season. I think two top 20 finishes in the majors so far this season as well. Well, he's not committed himself to live golf. He's going to fall out of top 50 very, very quickly indeed. And he's facing two years without being involved in a major championship just when he's playing the best golf of his life. 
it seems a huge risk to take. A quick break here to check in with our friends at DraftKings. There are two majors down. Next up, Brookline. We are here in Boston. From tee to green, you can get in on the action with the DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can deposit $25 or more and get $100 in free bets instantly. I always, always, always love getting involved in the Daily Fantasy Contest during the majors. they got great payouts. They're actually a little easier to play than your average uh, PGA Tour weeks, week to week. Um, I have been very, very close to some big prizes. I will be entering multiple lineups. And again, if the sportsbook isn't available in your state, you can still hit the course for cash with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Golf Contest. It's easy. Just pick six golfers, stay under the salary cap, and lock your lineup before the pros hit the first hole on Thursday. Everyone can play for over $10 million in prizes. Don't miss the action for golf's third major. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code NLU at sign up. Deposit $25 or more and get $100 in free bets instantly. That's code NLU only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Let's get back to Jamie Weir. It seems to me like the players are that have done this and are willing to take this money are seems like they are okay with not playing major championships anymore. That's that's what it comes down to for me. There's no guarantee that they'll be able to with, yeah. without official World Golf ranking points. So, and, there's a, and there's a whole heap of them, and I'm talking the likes of Westwood, Poulter, McDowell, Garcia, probably Keimer, who they're, they realistically weren't going to compete in major championships anyway. So, so I get it, to be honest, from their point of view. But I just think there's a couple of players. There's not too many now, but, well, Bryson, Taylor Gooch, Patrick Reed, maybe. There's not a few players that are jumping where I think, dude, you could win some majors in the next few years. Okay, I don't know some of them have got exemptions, obviously. but Yeah, but that's where it, uh, you know, how much, when you tee it up in a major, what's the best players have like a 6 or 7% chance of winning it that yeah. given week. And if you're not the best player, then your chances are, what, 2 3% if you're Bryson when you go tee it up. And everything else means nothing because the money from the majors pales in comparison to what yeah. you get for a, a T5 finish at a live event. So what what do you really get out of it at that point? And that's where I feel like we are the most fractured. That's where I feel very uh, dystopian about the whole thing of like the whole competitive golf landscape is kind of gone. If that's the way people start thinking about this, and it's not yeah. everyone, I think it's important to point out. And the key, key, key names are still there. Bryson's probably the biggest hurt to this point. But it just is like, well, what what, are, what is competitive golf really even anymore, right? Yeah. And at what stage do, and I said it earlier on, you know, the golden geese, as I referred to them, Rory, JT, Spieth, Ram, maybe even throwing some of the younger boys like Hovland, Scheffler, Morikawa. At what point do one of the, does one of them finally go? And that, because that really is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And that's suddenly, like, wow. Yeah. But, you know, I keep arriving back to it. I've said to people, I think this week has ultimately been a really sad week for golf. Um, because the sport that I love, that I grew up as a little kid watching with my dad, that I fell in love with, is being torn apart at the seams. And this increasingly bitter, hostile power struggle, this mudslinging from both sides, it's only going to get nastier and nastier. The game is inevitably going to get dragged through the courts. So tell me, Phil Mickelson sitting on that stage a few days ago and saying, this is good for the golf. How can this possibly be good for golf? No. And the person that gets shafted most at the end is the golf fan. Yep. Because how is this good possibly? People reply to me on Twitter, oh, but it means we're getting to see more golf. That's not necessarily no, a good no, no, thing. No, no, no. There's plenty and, of golf on The comparison TV. I make is imagine if for the last 20 years you're a tennis fan and Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer are playing in three different events every week and you never see them play against each other. How is that possibly good for the tennis fan? Okay, you're seeing three different tournaments, but you're not seeing the best play against the best. And 
uh, you know, by taking something away from the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour and and taking it over to live that you are you've lowered the capacity at which the PGA Tour could operate at like the the best possible heights that it could. Yeah, we got to go in today, but like we're going to get an 80% product now going forward at, the, at best. And look, the PGA Tour isn't perfect. I don't think either of us are pretending that. We're not like rah-rah cheerleaders for the PGA Tour. Dick riders. Yeah, the, there you go. Exactly. And of course, you know, they can think about more innovative con- formats. Of course, it doesn't need to be 51 weeks of the year. But is this really the right solution? I don't think it is. No, no, it's not. And that's where I, I still just think, yeah, I'll say it a million times for anyone that you know hasn't listened to every episode, but like... It, uh, it was maybe more inevitable than any of us realized that, the, that it would come to this. I knew this threat existed, but I didn't yeah. you know, know it would take over this quick. I mean, oh, and I have to be. I know that TC is loving this at the moment because all those people that said, oh, no, it's not going to happen. Yeah, you are alarmist. I was probably one of those people. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's not really going to take off. Back in February time when they're all dropping like flies left, right, and center, and Mickelson comes out with his comments, I'm like, yeah, okay. It's, I it's mean, over. like Rory said, ah, it's dead in the water now, isn't it? Uh, so I know that Tron is loving, like, lording it over all of us who said that's not going to happen. We like were screaming it from the rooftops. Yeah, that, yeah, like, you were right. Is, they, I was wrong. They're going to pay checks to somebody, and it's going to start looking really, really You're tempting. smart. I'm <laughs> stupid. <laughs> but I think the important thing to remember with all of this with, I think there's major flaws in the tour structure, how they've entertained, how, they, the, how they've concepted their, their whole structure, and when the threat was at their gates, they've had time to, do, to make changes and haven't. But it, when it comes down to straight money, they had no ability to compete on this front. They've had none. They've no. funneled a little bit of extra money towards tour players, but like it, I, we've just lost track of how vast this difference is in money, and it, but, just, it just becomes a footnote in the conversation. But to be clear, these guys are still playing for a lot of money on the PGA Tour. That's the thing. It's not like they're not being financially rewarded in the PGA Tour. Correct, either. but it's also becomes a thing of, and I'm not speaking. You know, I think I have would have no problem. I, of course, this is hypothetically speaking, and if you ask Twitter that these words mean nothing to say this, but I would have no problem turning down. Uh, a lot of money that is, would ask me to compromise like what I, I think of you know, in terms of my own value and the things that I yep. would say about who's paying me the money and, and just, you know, I don't want to sound like Graham McDowell up there. I wouldn't want to live my life like knowing that like fans hated me because of I this. I think we should almost like have a top 10 of the no, most nonsensical uh, Twitter Jamie, replies I'm you get. I'm not a politician. Oh, okay. I thought you were so, going so for a tour player replies. No, yeah, no. So, <laughs> it, I mean, you, top you, 10. You want to, let's do them. What do you got? Well, obviously, probably in at number one, and I know you highlighted this the other day, is the one, well, for, for, for something you guys hate so much, you sure don't talk about it a yeah, lot. That's one. Yeah, that's one. What did I have this week? What about China? Yeah, all the, all the water the Well, I, I, I see you've tweeted this from your iPhone. You, oh, did you drive your car today? You got, you got your yeah, gas from exactly, Saudi Arabia. Exactly. Did you ride an Uber today? Saudi Arabia is invested in All that. that. Do you know what the one reply that I really can't quite get my head around? I get a lot of, ah, oh, typical, like, bitter, upset journalists. You go, you go show them Mickelson. You go show them DJ. Like, why are you riding so hard for a multi-multi-millionaire who's confusing. about to become a multi-multi-multi-multi-millionaire who you don't know, who's never going to talk to you. Like, why are you so desperate for him to get a lot richer and show me? <laughs> yeah. what, what, what's all that about? I can't get my head around that one at all. I got a, we got a bunch of good Twitter questions for you, and we wanted to bring you in to kind of get your perspective from the other side of the pond and uh, just to make sure we're not going yeah. crazy with some of, some of our takes. But Sean Zock golf.com asked of the golfers you talked to this week which one and you were at the live event this past week I was. it's worth noting of the golfers you talked to this week which one did you feel was telling the truth 
<laughs> if any. <laughs> if, if any. I mean, the most honest interview I did all week was with Martin, Martin Keimer, Keimer. Yeah. who's who's always a, a good speaker. And eventually he said, yeah, okay, I, I'm doing it for the money. Uh, you know, money is a big motivator. It's not when you first get into the game, but, you know, it, it becomes a business. So at least he was honest. You know, we all sat in that press conference room on the Tuesday morning and Louis Tazen, DJ and Graham McDowell did this press conference together with TK, this 15-year-old Thai kid who I felt sorry for because, like, God help him, it's not, you know. Anyway, Ari Fleischer sits up there and he goes, so guys, why are you here? And Louis Eustace starts off, like, ah, you know, it's just this innovative format in the team golf and I... And I was looking around the room. I was sitting next to Jamie Corrigan on my left. Uh, KVV was sitting just in front of me. And I started looking around going, do they think we're idiots? Why, why are they insulting our... You're here... For, and I eventually, that was the question I asked. I said, guys, you're not here for any innovation. You're here for the money. Just Will you just admit it? And eventually they kind of begrudgingly did admit it. But, I mean, none and of them were what, honest. Yeah, Keimer's, Keimer's interview. And it just was, feels yeah. like this... It's like It's like Big Brother. It's like this... Forget about sports washing. They're just trying to brainwash us with 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 the, some of the answers they're giving. Like, don't treat us like idiots. We know exactly why you're here, it's so you can walk away with a wheelbarrow full of cash at the end of the week and nothing else. It's not for the competition. It's not right. for the fans. It's not for bloody grow the game. Every time I hear those three words, I'm just like, do me a fucking favor. And that's where it. it I wonder if this round of que- if they think like this round of questioning is like the end of it like we got through that event one and like from here on out it's smooth sailing Do you but- know what all i will say on that front is i have an almost begrudging respect for the players who were there last week and they were yeah. taking the bullets First and they were facing the difficult questions and then you've got the little rats waiting in the wings just to see how that first event event goes before they eventually jump ship as well that they're almost worse they are worse not that i didn't think bryson's gonna get, get an easy time this week at brookline if he's put in front of the media i felt like the media was pretty from what i heard was was good ask good questions ask pointed questions and was not easy on him in any way but i also wonder first event in america in portland if there's going to be a more critical mass there of, of questions of you know on the home ta- home turf now of the PGA Tour, yeah, is it? Uh, but do, do they, you not think they, they turn it up a notch? They, and this isn't supposed to be like boasting about the standard no. of journalism in the UK, but do you not think that American golf writers might actually give them a, a little bit of an easier time? Could be. I mean, I can't imagine Neil McLemon from the Daily Mirror. He was the one that put the question to Poulter and Westwood about that was great. If Vladimir Putin. I just remember, would you play in that? I'm not sure. I can imagine American golf writer saying something as pointed as that but maybe i'm wrong i i almost think i'm not even necessarily saying american golf writer i feel like more american media is going to converge on this thing and and you know it the the angle at which it's being you know covered now i mean it was on the the tonight show with trevor noah or whichever late show with trevor noah he was covering it and you know it's circulating on all kinds of uh, I forget who the name is, the journalist in the in the, in the the UK that did the whole eight, nine-minute thing that was post- going everywhere. Oh, yeah. on Rose Aikens. Yeah, yeah. going everywhere on Twitter. Like, it's just being – it's it's kind of permeating past the golf world yeah, at this point. Is. And when it comes to American Shores, and then when it goes to the golf courses that it's going to later in the year with the person that it's owned by, <laughs> yes. it's going to permeate through American media as well, maybe even a little deeper. And, God, what bizarre times. I can't – this is above my pay grade, man. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to be doing this. But what is – I mean, maybe we're about to get on to this, so apologies, but, but what is the end game here? I mean, what is – Norman obviously has his axe to grind against the PGA Tour, and he can bang on all he wants about being additive, not competitive, but you can't be demanding that guys play 14 weeks of the year for you, four majors on top of that, and then still say, oh, but you can go and play however many sure. times. It just doesn't work. So the only solution, surely, at some point, 
is that Monaghan and Norman sit down around a table and thrash out some sort of compromise. And at the moment, neither seems as if no. they're willing to cede any ground at all. I almost think that the best case scenario for the PGA Tour becomes like the live tour quote unquote fills up their roster. Like and it's that's it. it. Like you get your whatever of the top thirty, let's say it's twenty don't want to go, and they get ten of those top thirty and then they kinda keep going down the list and they get their forty eight and then it's kind yeah. of over, then that's because like here's the, the thing case. if you separate where the money's coming from, and I know you can't because it's inextricably linked and they're not doing this to improve the game of golf. They're doing this purely to launder their image so that they can do business in the rest of the world. So we can't separate it. We can't separate the fact that they chemically castrated homosexuals and stoned women to death and executed 81 men in the same day and dismembered dissident journalists. All that is inextricably linked. But let's forget about that for one <laughs> second because actually the idea of having the world's best 48 players playing in a team tournament for eight weeks of the year, I'd watch that. Hell yeah. That sounds like great fun. There's a lot there. If the money wasn't coming from there, if the money was coming from Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, that'd be great. The difference is they'd be driven by market forces. They'd be doing it to turn a profit. They'd be doing it because it was a sustainable business model, which this is not. So, look, I spoke to Alan Shipnock about this the other day as well, and he was saying he sees it eventually that they do get into bed together and for that fall series, which isn't great in the PGA Tour. Maybe that's filled up by live golf events. I still don't think those ones who have pinned their colors to the mast so vehemently, like Rory or JT, will jump. But it seems inevitable more and more are going to, right? That's why I said this Thursday, too, but if, in case you didn't tune into that emergency episode, I, no, said, I, did, I, did, yeah. I said, or for the listeners' sake, yeah. if what makes this work, which is piles and piles and piles and piles of money, is also what's going to make it not work in terms of gaining all of the golfers to do it, right? There's golfers that do not want to take this money, don't want to be on the PGA Tour. We've listed off the names many times. So, yeah, if the league was funded by – there's a reason why it's not funded by Bezos or Musk. They know this is not yeah. – does not make business sense. This is – it only makes sense if, if somebody is throwing a shitload of money at it and is doing it for a very specific other reason, which is exactly what this is. Yeah. And so no matter what, at best, we get a fractured golf world. That's, yeah. that's just where I'm residing of, like – exactly what's pulling these people away is exactly why they won't i have no problem swearing off the pga tour despite being a pga tour dick rider uh <laughs> just saying the pga tour is over and the 48 best players fall into blah 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 league funded by mark cuban yeah if that was the case and they adopted some of the things that live is doing maybe not all of them necessarily i'd be like that's probably more entertaining than what we currently have so mm. I'm, I'm in on that but that's we're never going to get that with the current setup Look, and there's another couple of fascinating issues as well. On our side of the pond, obviously, the silence has been deafening from the DP World Tour so far. Yeah, help me out there. Yeah, so as I understand it, they're not going to make any comment um, until perhaps next week. Keith Pelley is obviously in a difficult position in terms of he can't take any sort of moral high ground because he cozied up to the Saudis in the first exactly. place. Exactly. Um, so he can't do that thing. They've got this strategic alliance now. As I see it, they've basically got two options. Strengthen the strategic reliance and go all in, say, yeah, just like the PGA Tour, we're going to suspend you from our tour as well. Or they go the other way and they say, two fingers to you, Jay Monaghan, we're breaking off the strategic reliance. And hey, Dustin, Phil, Bryson, Pat, come and play in the DP World Tour on the weeks that you're not playing live golf and actually end up making the DP World Tour stronger. That's their other option. That is the extreme scenario, and I'd be very surprised if they go down that route. I think it's much more likely they strengthen the strategic reliance. But the risk with that is 
you're essentially becoming a full-on feeder tour for the PGA Tour. You're losing the identity of what was the European Tour. And I know for a fact that a lot of the European Tour stalwarts really resent that idea. So they're in a really difficult position as well. Mm. And the other question that hasn't been answered is, you know, and I get asked this, all these guys, if the, the more and more, if all these sexier, more marketable, frankly, better golfers come along, what happens to all the guys at the bottom end of this 48? Because it's not going to grow beyond 48. Norman's USP has been 12 teams of four. If suddenly you have 27 teams of four, it just doesn't work. So there's really never going to be 48. That's what Norman's promised. He's broken yep. promises before, but that's what he's promised. So what happens to... Asian Tour. That, I yeah, think it's that's, that, that's basically the, the only way tour, they yeah. can go, isn't it? Yep, that's that's kind of the purpose, I think, behind funding a bunch of the Asian Tour events. and for sort and, of. So I think the, the top-end guys will have their long-term contracts and their reassurance. The bottom-end guys who are involved this week, the guys that even you and I as golf nerds have never heard of before, they'll happily head off back to the Asian Tour, content with their one-week's earnings at Centurion. But what happens to those middle-tier guys, the likes of the... You know, Laurie Cantor's, Richard Bland's, Hudson Swafford's. I mean, what's their recourse? They can't go back to the PGA Tour. There's a chance that the likes of Cantor and Bland can't go back to the DP World Tour. They're just cast adrift. Yeah, and that's where it's, you know, does this get settled? Do they file an injunction of some kind to be able to make starts on the PGA Tour and they can play until it gets settled in the courts? Or do they go play the Asian Tour now and go just pick the, the ones that the Saudis are funding there? Because those purses are pretty huge. Yeah. On the, oh, they commit $300 million or something to the Asian Tour. Like, it's just, it's paper money. Like, it's yeah. just, it's monopoly money that they're just throwing around. It's almost like forgotten that they, you know, funded that series on the on the Asian Tour and are, are dumping a bunch of money into that. And But I do know, I think it's, you know, the Asian Tour is set to lose some official World Golf ranking points Later this year, I think it's this year, when the new World Golf Ranking System comes out. And the DP World Tour will lose a lot of ranking points as well. So, yeah. So you're delighted about it. Yeah, I just, sounds like <laughs> justice if you ask singing me. Singing it from the rooftops for years. You can, you can complain about it. No one's ever told me I'm wrong about that, though. <laughs> so, a few more questions just in general. And I, I think you kind of, I don't, you're being asked here to speak on all, on behalf of all European golf fans. Yeah, okay. T. Stavely13 said, How is live golf being viewed by European golf fans? What, what kind of sense do you get? Uh, is it different than American, or do you have enough to kind of even weigh in on that? Well, I think today might have changed matters in terms of, as you said, once you bring 9-11 into things, then American audiences in particular will get very understandably emotional, and I think these guys next week will get a pretty hard time from a Boston crowd, won't they? Um, I think on the other side of the pond, there's maybe not that same sort of emotional um, baggage that comes with it, and... A lot of people maybe don't understand sports washing, even though we've got it with Newcastle United and Lewis Hamilton being a Formula One driver, and et cetera, et cetera. Anthony Joshua taking fights to Saudi Arabia. So we get that point of view, but I don't think people are as um, emotionally invested in it. Look, the crowds were decent there. Now, that is one thing I will say, that there were fans that turned out to watch it. Well, let me bridge that question as well, too, with the next one, which I think can, okay. can help that, which is with at JP10 said, given how given the much greater experience the British public has with sports washing with Newcastle, Man yeah. City, F1, what's the public reaction been towards the high profile English players who have jumped? Can you spot sports washing a lot easier if you've seen more cycles of it, or do you see fatigue and kind of acceptance of it? On the I think it's kind of that. That's what I I'm mean. Kind that's of what, that's of. and that's exactly how sports washing works, right? Exactly. There's that initial outrage, and then it dissipates. And it was exactly the same when Newcastle were bought over back in back in October. Oh my gosh, how can we be allowing the Saudis to take over one of our historic football clubs? And then 
fast forward six months and it oh hasn't Eddie Howe done a fantastic job at Newcastle and which players are they going to sign this summer and you know with the Formula One it's another thing I get asked all the time oh, why, why, why don't you ask the Formula One drivers these tough questions well they do get asked these tough questions yeah. but let's face it they don't have any say in where they're driving at all it's the chief executives of Formula One that you need to be asking the questions to and even boxers you know, fights going to Saudi Arabia was the boxing promoters that hold all the power there, and they're the ones taking fights to Saudi Arabia. So I think there is an element of fatigue when it comes to sports washing, and you get the waterboundary, like, oh, you look into any country in the world, and they've all got their issues as well. Um, in terms of t- the attitude towards the English players, I think the likes of Westwood, Poulter, Garcia, McDowell, Keimer, I know they're not English, but, you know, those European stalwarts who formed the backbone of so many Ryder Cup teams down the years, I think there's a lot of sadness there and a feeling that, you know, we understand why the likes of Richard Bland is doing it. He's going to be 50 next year. He's only really started earning decent money the last 14 months of his career. He can set up his kids for life. I get that. But it's the European guys. And maybe I'm being a little bit, maybe I, I'm over-sentimentalizing the Ryder Cup. I know that I'm I know that I'm on the same <laughs> sheet as you here because the Ryder Cup means so much to me. Yeah. So maybe I, I'm attaching too much importance to it, but I would have thought that meant something to them. I will say it was looking more and more like the European team was going to get hurt a lot more <laughs> in the Ryder Cup process than the U.S. was yeah. as of a month ago as this was getting ready to go down. And now it's, it's well, flipped. It might have gone full circle. I mean, as I said, if the DP World Tour decide, look, you're fine. You can stick around. then. But you haven't lost really any talent you were counting on for 2023 to this point. No, I mean, I could maybe throw a Sam Horsefield in yeah. there or somebody like that. But, you know, no no. Big. Poulter and Westwood, but you were not planning I mean, on having them back. Victor Hovland is sort of in the conversation. I have heard whispers that he could be one that goes. That would really upset me if he did. I heard he was shitting on it this past week, so I, yeah. I, I, I don't well, know. Well, let's hope so. Who knows? Let's <laughs> hope so. I mean, God, who knows? Because yeah. the U-turns are coming at a rate of knots. Pat Perez's U-turn was very impressive. This new tour is going to be iconic! <laughs> According to Mrs. Perez, so who knows? Yeah, look, it's going to be inter- the Ryder Cup thing is another fascinating thing to see how that plays out. But can can you really imagine if this is the first nail in the coffin of the DP World Tour? Can you really imagine Ryder Cup Europe turning round to Westwood, Poulter, Garcia, McDowell, and still say, "Oh yeah, but I know you buried our tour, but still, of course, Come you can on. still be captain of our team yeah. at 2025." Beth Page. Well, also, according to Kevin Na, they might change the rules for them, too. So That's it. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin Na. They're definitely going to change the rules for Kevin Na. What do you think is going to happen this week to the live guys at Brookline? Uh, what kind of treatment? Do you well, think I think cheers, a, a, booze, a, heckles? A, a, you can tell me. I mean, a, a Boston crowd is n- notoriously easygoing and laid back, isn't it's it, right? It's not quite New York level, I don't think. <laughs> but we don't, you know, we don't see it very often, at least you know, with major championships. We haven't seen it in quite some I time. I think they'll get a pretty hard time. I, I would say so. You know, the majority of responses, I get the water biter responses on Twitter, but the majority of responses I get, there's a bit, there's a lot of anger towards them, DJ in particular, yeah. for some reason. That's where I wonder if the USGA puts them all together. Yeah. And if not, then you're, again, talking about what Jay Monahan's talking about, who he's defending and who he's riding for, the people that stayed loyal, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The people, if you put Rory and JT with Phil Mickelson, like that's, or with DJ, like you've just... You put a whole circus around them that they didn't ask for or deserve. I did see way. the suggestion of putting like DeShambo, Reed, and DJ out in the very first tea time on Thursday just, just and the very it. very last one on yes. Friday <laughs> just to really piss them off. But again, it's not the USGA's fight, is it? No, but it's just, yeah, that's a consideration, I would think. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. TMCC 315, do you think Liv will be around in five years? 
I really hope not. But it's, you know, they're not going in any way anywhere quietly, are they? I see no reason why they would not be. They're signing guys to five-year deals. Yeah. Uh, the the it, money's it, not going to run it's out. It's not the money. It's yeah. so it, it would have to be sheer boredom or. Uh, It'll look very different from how it looks now if it is still around in five years. It's going to look different next year. I think they're planning for fifteen events next year. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's, and the, they're playing nice now. Yeah. In terms of we want to be guys to be able to do both like. When they've got 15 events and when it's a league officially in 2024, which they claim it will be, mm. they're not playing nice anymore. With that no. amount of money, they're not playing nice. That, there's going to be a catch to this on the back half. Uh, Jack French, is it worst-case scenario next week if one of the live guys wins? Yeah, well, yeah, it is, isn't it? Phil winning would be the absolute best. Oh, I, God. I'd be way in on that. That'd Completing be the, the career grand slam. That'd be one of the wildest stories in sports history. He, it really would be. It, I... I, I I would not be rooting against that. I think he's going to either win by 10 or miss the cut by 10. I, I mean, I, I, they're all playing so badly, though. That's the I thing. Know. Which of them has actually got a feasible chance of winning? JPG SBC, do you think there will be any issues regarding manufacturers canceling contracts with players that are moving from the PGA Tour and DP World Tour to live? Well, we've seen them hemorrhaging sponsors left, right, and center. I mean, manufacturers, I don't know. Again, they'll be. You see the Bryson thing? They they had tweeted out the announcement for Bryson, uh, and he had the DraftKings logo on his cap, and they had to delete it and white white it out. And I I guess they. I don't know if I, despite us sharing a sponsor, uh, yeah, with DraftKings, I do not know if they dropped him or what. But that was an interesting footnote. And Reed's picture was him wearing all his Nike stuff, which he does. He's not with Nike anymore. I did spot that. Yeah. Feral Golfer asked a really interesting question. I'm going to help you with this, too, because you're back at school and on the debate team. You have to argue for the proposal. Live golf is good for the game. What are your three key arguments? I was on the debate team at school. I was quite good at it, actually. <laughs> My goodness, I cannot think of one. Well, I mean, the, the one argument for it is that professional golf did need to shake up, and 72-hole yep. stroke play every single week of the year was stale and is stale so that's why you know i'm all for innovation i like team golf i mean you need to be emotionally invested in the team some way and i'm not invested in the niblicks or the stickers by the way the team names unbelievable i mean we could have a whole other podcast <laughs> just talking about that so let's not go down that road so you know as i said earlier earlier in the podcast you know the idea itself is really intriguing but you know just not the way that it's being done at the moment with the source of the money and the absolute just mountains of cash. I think it'll bring people to golf. I haven't, I haven't answered Feral Golfer's question. It's no, all that there, was but, good. That was, but, that yeah. was, I think the format and the, uh, you know, and I think it'll, it'll bring people to golf tournaments that probably wouldn't normally yeah. go. I think like music afterward, kind of turning it into a festival of some kind is a good idea. Again, I don't know if that's, you know, is good for the game of golf, but I think that's an interesting way. And, of you know presenting obviously golf with no commercials is much more interesting to do but helps when you have no sponsors we know why that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's the case but so i really do struggle to understand how you know to really answer that question seriously but if we we're on the debate team it would say like look the also maybe one of these is pro golf is so broken at the moment to begin with it needs a complete tearing apart to like rebuild yeah. and rise from the ashes with a new format and a new setup and and whatever that might be that that might be the best thing that this thing gives us is like the teardown of the current tour structure. Yeah, you know, I, I said earlier on that I, I, I contend that this has been a sad week for golf, but maybe 5, 10, 15 years on the line, we'll look back and this as being the week that golf changed for the better in terms of it was finally the, the catalyst that was needed to yeah. to promote change because 
you know, it, it can't, it, the status quo can't stay as it is. Yep. It, there's some good, like, let's, let's move on and let's, there was some good that happened on, not only the Canadian Open, but like, yes. on the Scandinavian mix this week. Wow. I, I need you to tell me about Lynn Grant, because this is kind of sneaking up on me, if I'm being honest. There's been a lot going on. Uh, I knew the Scandinavian mix was going on for people that aren't familiar with that format and what that, and what just happened today, if you can put that into context. Well, I don't know much about Lynn Grant, but I do know from having watched little snippets of this weekend that. I mean, what a swing. She's been a professional for less than a year. This was her eighth professional win. She's won three times on the Ladies Sunshine Tour. She won twice in February and once in March. She has three uh, Ladies European Tour wins. And she won this Scandinavian mix, which is a mix between men and women. The women play different tees than the men. She won it by nine. nine And it's before you start thinking, wow, they must have just let him play from the red tees. Like, it must have been way too easy. She was the only woman to finish in the top 14 of the tournament. Yeah out of control extraordinary. I mean just unbelievable completely decimated the field was she shooting the final day 64 in the final I day I think it was with a few bogeys too. Um, to be uh, Henrik Stenson Ryder yeah. Cup captain by nine shots as well I mean an absolute exhibition and as you said to be the only woman up there in the leaderboard as well that brings its own pressure uh, you know that's the only shame is that there weren't a few more women in contention as well but you know <laughs> Again, not the, I don't want to keep going back to bloody live goal, but the guys sitting <laughs> on the stage on, last week and tell us, oh, you know, we, we just want to do something different. Well, there was something different happening this week in, right. in Sweden. So if you wanted something different, you could have gone and played in that if you wanted to. Oh, no, the prize pot isn't quite what it was this week, so that's why you didn't. But, you know, fair play to Lynn Grant. And, yeah, she's eight wins. That's sensational. Superstar. Well, and it's hard to, you know, it's hard to even give it the proper attention. And not even that. We haven't even got to the Curtis Cup at Marion this past week, yeah. too. Like, it was just absolute what this and i don't feel bad for the amount of time we've dedicated to live because of how it yeah how uh you know how big of a long down the line effect it's all gonna have but man it's like covering up some like decent decent storylines going into brookline this week doesn't even feel like a major championship week this week because this past week has been one of the most significant developmental weeks yeah. in uh, well, my career definitely it's another tweet that i've had this week is you know it's a shame that Jamie Jamie can't be arsed to go and cover the Scandinavian mix or the Curtis Cup this week. And like, I, I'm a, I'm a news reporter. My job is to go where the biggest news story is. And unfortunately, the biggest news story this week has been at Centurion. That doesn't mean that you know. Obviously, I think the golf that has more meaning to it and the golf that I'm celebrating more is what was happening in Sweden and at Marion. So um, yeah, I mean, Lynn Grant, absolute masterclass did you get to watch much of the curtis cup this week hardly any but i see that we got our arses handed to us we being of course you mean gbi and i yeah the americans triumphed uh i can't like i can't shit talk the curtis cup i really can't yeah yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) on top of this we had an event this past weekend so all this crazy stuff has happened and we're supposed to be hosting an event it was yeah so it was impossible to keep track of but well i will say i saw a little bit on the telly here um Oh, Marion. It's yeah. just, what course? The USGA has done so good at the courses they've gone to with yeah. Cur- the Curtis Cup, Walker Cup, and things then, like that. And the, RNA, next, the yeah. next Curtis Cup's at Sunningdale. Is it really? Have you played Sunningdale? Yeah, I have, yes. Oh. It's like my favorite course probably in England, yeah. I think. My, they, I would say my favorite non-Links course. Are they doing it on the old, I assume? or I would think they'll probably have a hybrid, a, okay. few, a few holes from the new and a few from the old. But it's, I mean, both tracks are sensational there. I mean, yeah, it, it and they do it decent job telecasting it here in the states and it's uh worthwhile watching if if you don't have we, we golf that actually means something you know yeah. golf that actually means something you see the emotion and you see them riding for their own teammates and and that's and, and they're, they're not playing for a single cent and that's what like dude i watched live this weekend and i watched the little curtis cup and i watched a little scandinavian mix and i watched a decent amount of the pga tour the, today and it was yeah. like I, I can see where these rank. I can see where on the on the competitive nature scale and I know they tried to pretend like that that the live 
stuff, it doesn't work when there's nothing dangled at the end other than money. There's no world ranking points. There's no, I, you know, we, we're not huge FedEx Cup fans, but there's no, no. point standings. There's no, you know, um, there's no qualifying for any teams. There's no career development there at all because you're not just, playing against the best players. It means nothing. Like, yeah. it's just, you know, is Charles Schwartzel in his deathbed going to have his grandkids assembled around him and say, oh, uh, you know, I remember the time that I finished birdie, 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 birdie to win the Masters. But let me tell you what was really special, winning the Live Golf Invitational <laughs> in Hartfordshire just outside. Kind of sound like Arlo White a little bit. (laughs) But this is the thing that, and I've had a few people say, oh, you know, the the classic Twitter response, oh, you'd jump in a heartbeat if you were being offered that much money. And I I don't know, I would like to think that I would have still have some principles, but yeah, it is an awful lot of money um, that we're talking about. But for those guys that have already made it, already millionaires, what's more important to you? More money or legacy, and I would like to think that, like, you know, Rory's spoken about it, legacy is more important to him, and then you get the response to that, well, the only things that really matter are the majors anyway, and they're allowed to play in the majors. Well, they're not the only thing that matters. You know, you had Max in the podcast after he won in LA earlier this season, winning his hometown Open, every, and he said, every single year I go back to Rave, I'm going to know that I was an LA Open winner. Or if one of the Canadian boys had won the Canadian oh, yeah. Open today, what would that have meant to him? Rory winning the Irish Open a few years ago. I mean, he spoke of that alongside his majors as one of the most emotional he's ever been. I think Ben Coley tweeted a picture earlier of Louis Tazen with tears streaming down his face when he won the South Africa Open. So it's not just the majors that mean something. It's these tournaments, and I'm not going to get overly sort of corny and emotional here, but those tournaments that Jack and Arnie won and Tiger won, you're following in illustrious footsteps on the European tour, Irish, Scottish, Italian, French Opens, tournaments that Seve and Faldo and Monty won. They mean something. Winning these tournaments, they've got no history, no prestige, no jeopardy. Who cares? Yeah. Amen to that. Well, only only thing we their didn't bank, give, their bank managers care. Not yeah. So. Only thing we didn't give a shout out to also was Brooke Henderson getting off the off the Schneid and winning on the LPGA tour. So she's officially alive. Which she is alive right after Randy declared dead. Was that last week? I can't even remember. Uh, a lot's happened in a week. A lot has happened in the last week, but I think Randy declared Brooke Henderson dead. Two people that uh, Randy has declared dead have both winning on a Sunday. There so. you go. T- he'll, I know what he'll say. He's not here. It's, it's not a major. A tough, it's, tough it's, look for Large Randall this week, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, well, he picked Lynn Grant to win the game. Oh, did he? Fair play. He did, and TC helped him with that pick, so he won a lot. TC's of, on an absolute heater in terms of the tipping, fa- isn't it? It's he? not fair. He had Finau to win today. He oh, almost got it, but my word. he has been uh, hitting it at a pace that uh, is making the rest of us a little bit uncomfortable. But, well, thank you very much for finally joining the podcast. Glad we could uh, glad we could make this happen, and uh, look forward to covering some major championship golf with you this I week. I just have to say one final thing. I've oh, literally no. had a message from the aforementioned okay. Tron Carter uh, whilst they've been talking, and uh, it reads, Rory winning without Harry on the bag really makes you think. There you go. He couldn't wait to get that one in, could he? Yeah, we were throwing that around uh, very much. Uh, we had, it was kind of monkey meme for Harry watching the watching this tournament today. Like, uh oh, yeah. I could really get on board with this if it was like a pro caddy that he had on the bag for no. this week and with a totally different style. But it was still another one of his buddies. Yeah, Niall O'Connor. It. Yeah, rugby player. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah, he's I was... a, uh, a retired rugby player. Gotcha. So he's well known in Northern Ireland. Gotcha. Is is Harry going to be here for the for Brooklyn? Or is... I just know. I text I texted him the other night, and it must have been just before the baby arrived because I think the baby arrived on Friday. But I just uh, texted him saying good luck with it all, and I said I, I'm guessing I won't see you in Boston, and he didn't respond to gotcha. that one. So I don't know. Okay. Depends how patient his wife is. It's child number two. 
But she. Oh knows. yeah, he'll be here then. after child number one. You know, you pay a bit of attention, <laughs> but child number two, it's not really that big a deal. All right, well, you got to be jet lagged. I'm gonna get out of here and let you get to bed. But thank you, Jamie, for joining, and uh, we'll see you this week out of Brooklyn. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, and I finally made it. I'm on the No Lang Up podcast. I finally made it. One more than Norman. Lifelong ambition. <laughs> one more than Norman. <laughs> Thanks again to Jamie Weir for spending some time with us on a Sunday evening. This next interview is with Kevin Van Valkenburg, as I mentioned in the opening. This was recorded Sunday morning before he jumped on a plane back to the States. Uh, before This was very early in the morning, very early in the morning for me. Uh, I, hope, I hope you can't tell. But uh, Speaking of the event that I mentioned at the top of the show, we want to give a shout out to our friends at Precision Pro Golf who helped sponsor uh, the Thirst Bucket at the Mines, the official rangefinder of No Laying Up, easily the coolest rangefinder we have ever seen. It is here, the Precision Pro NX10, the first customizable rangefinder in golf it's got an interchangeable side plate and front plate you can personalize the look of your nx10 to fit your style it's got an upgraded magnet and a new lcd display and an external slope switch the nx10 feels great in your hands and an ever-growing of collection of designs for precision pro means you'll always have new options for your rangefinders you can effortlessly swap out between your plates and you have a different looking rangefinder each time you play golf I was blown away by this. When you go to precisionprogolf.com, you can see our No Laying Up and Strap Boys designs. I couldn't believe it. You can go straight to the site, select the NX10, and you can do a customizable NLU or strap design. Uh, and as fellow golfers, they'll have you covered with industry-leading customer service, free lifetime battery replacements, and a 30% trade-in program, and a two-year warranty. So from now until June 19th, you can head to precisionprogolf.com, save $20 on the new NX10, and see how you can customize your rangefinder to support No Laying Up. Play with style, Precision Pro Golf. Here's KBV. I think we can uh, definitively say, way, 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 future. <laughs> Mr. Kim, Mr. Kim, Mr. Kim, Mr. Kim. How are you, man? Woo. What an interesting week, Sully. I am in my hotel room in London, flying out later today, and just trying to process uh, everything that I saw. When uh, I think it sort of, it, it things clicked throughout the week at various points but just seeing guys spray each other with you know $300 bottles of champagne right after I had got done talking to a Saudi dissident who talked to me about her sister being tortured and imprisoned just for advocating for women to be able to drive in Saudi Arabia kind of made the whole spectacle click for me as being a little bit gross is sports washing working Yes, I can report that uh, sports washing <laughs> is working and working well, sadly. Nobody in attendance is even giving a second thought to uh, anything that's going on in Saudi Arabia and certainly will come away, I think, from live golf experiences feeling good about the product if you attended it. Whether you watched it on TV or cared at all, like it was more like a, just a kind of a music festival here and... Um, I'll give them credit. They put on a great product overall. I mean, it really it hit me like on the second night when I went to the concert and it was kind of raining. I just wanted to kind of check out like how many people are actually into this. Is this kind of something that's going to be sort of cringe? And it was lightly raining and it was three and a half hours after the golf was over and there were still probably three, four hundred people. Uh, a guy named James Bay was there and he was playing some pretty pretty great music and i just sort of stood, stood there and thought a lot about man like this is exactly what you know people who are sort of critical of saudi arabia's human rights record talk about is that they just kind of use you know concerts and sporting events and stuff to put a sheen or a curtain up over what it's actually like back home in the in the kingdom and i, I gotta say like i don't know how you compete with 
an organization that has literally like a bottomless amount of money and showed us that they actually can put on a pretty good event that to be honest, had a pretty different energy than a PGA tour event, like a younger, you know, more relaxed, I think kind of fun, youthful energy. And I say saying the word fun in that context makes me kind of want to throw up, but that's how it was. I'm just being honest and describing what it was like to be in the sort of fan zone. Sounds like uh, KVV, the, the, the sports washing is working on KVV. Are you team oh. crushers? Are you team stingers? Are the magic, <laughs> the magistics or what, what's your, who's your squad now? You know, Tron asked me to pick up some of the gear uh, for him. Uh, I didn't quite get around to doing that. So uh, I think we're going to have to walk away here empty handed, but uh, I, I will say it was funny that, you know, Mickelson hadn't talked for four months or whatever. And the first thing that he, that it came out of his mouth, uh, was a joke about the long history of the high flyers, how he, that he took that into account uh, when he put out his draft together. I was like, yeah, that's kind of the most Phil thing of all time. <laughs> you know, I will say, and I said this earlier in the week too, I, I kind of underestimated, obviously we knew how much money was involved with this, but I underestimated how much throwing money at problems can solve the problems in terms of production organization and just putting on this event. It, it, we were kind of making some fire fest jokes leading up to it, but that, you know, again, we're going to get into what, what was maybe not working so well, but I was pretty, uh, imp- I hesitate to use the word impressed, but pretty amazed at uh, the overall production. And it didn't really feel from the little bit that I was able to watch that it didn't really, I get the, I didn't get the, like, the sense it was a first time thing or that they were just kind of winging it. Like they, f- they felt pretty darn prepared. Did it feel that way on, on the ground? Yeah, I mean, it started out feeling like a startup, like they were uh, having sort of various, you know, wrinkles in it. I mean, whether it was, you know, things misspelled or saying, you know, oh, yeah, this is this awesome draft party. But oh, by the way, like you can't come to it. And, you know, I, I was joking, like the first day I walked in and they made you sign this like long sheet of things that you can and can't do and social media rules or whatever. And I sort of objected to one of it. I was like, you know, it said you had to add a live hashtag to any tweet or any content or whatever here. And it's all very official legalese. And I said, look, I'm just not going to do this. I'm not going to. And the woman said, oh, you can just cross out whatever you don't like <laughs> with a pen. And I was like, OK. And so I crossed out various things and signed it and handed it back to them. And they were like, OK, great, go ahead. And it was, it, you know, there were things of it that were like a little bit comical. I mean, the, the very first day. Uh, when there's press conferences, you know, they get into a shouting match with the Associated Press reporter because he's tried to ask a question at the end of the thing, at the end of the press conference, when they had sort of said it was going to run 30 minutes and they kind of cut it off at 24 when Ari Fleischer sort of decided that it was no longer in the best interest to have players answer, you know, these questions about morality. And, you know, the AP reporter gets taken outside and disappears and we're hearing he's not allowed to come back in and it, it just felt like oh my god this is like everything that we thought that they would sort of mess up it's a clown show and the stuff with alan shipnuck the next day where you know they these two goons just kind of pop up out of nowhere and hold phil back and or hold alan back from you know asking a question in the phil press conference but like as the sort of week went on they kind of got into sort of a flow of things and things were running much smoother and they were like willing to pretty much answer any question that you had. Like it was, I felt to be honest, like 
like, wow, there's some ways they're more open than other sort of people, at least. There, you know, Greg Norman did an interview with Bob Herrick. Like, you know, there was stuff that it was frustrating. Like the, the media access was very limiting. Uh, and so you couldn't like go and get players after their rounds unless, you know, they wanted to sort of stop by and talk in the media center. But, you know, no one prevented us from asking any kind of questions other than when Alan was sort of kept out of the press scrum. And it, you know, they started to figure it out. I think it, um, other than the fact that you literally had to like scan your badge every single place that you went so that they could sort of track where you were going. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it was a well-run event by the end of it. Are you as worried about the future of pro golf as I am after having seen this? Because my impression 20 minutes into it and, and tweeted something along the same likes of, like, this is going to work. Like, the, for a lot of different reasons, there are too many reasons that uh, to get into in 280 characters. But it, uh, it it does feel like the future does not feel like a flash in the pan and is only going to get worse. Uh, do How do you feel about that? I feel 100% agreement. I don't know how you, all these people who think like, oh, competition is good for, you know, leagues. You know, we've never had an instance, I think, in sport before where the the supposed new competitive league just basically like had to run a league without any limits on what they could spend. They, they never had to balance any books. They could just literally lose $2 billion uh, and that would be like a rounding error to them. And so what you think of as competition is, you know, un unfair labor practices, essentially. <laughs> it's a saying that uh, these the PGA Tour and Live Golf are really not in competition because they're just no same similar standards in terms of how they can make money generate, you know, so, I mean, Live's not going to make any money. No one's like uh, having 60,000 people watch on YouTube or giving away thousands of tickets for free isn't going to turn a profit at all i would be you know fascinated to sort of think if they even i mean obviously they must do the books but like what the whole thing cost them and whether they're you know the only kind of return that they got would be from like food and beverage and they were charging super reasonable prices it was almost like sort of the augusta model of like yeah here's a about a beer for five pounds and here's you know I mean, like you coming back from the last tournament I covered was a PGA championship where, you know, it was $20 for a sandwich and $19 for a beer coming here and looking at that and be like, yep, they figured that out too. Like they could, they could have stepped in a lot of dumb things and they didn't. Uh, and I think, man, like pro golf is just, I mean, what's going to happen to if like to the TV contracts for golf, if 48 of the best players every week are not playing in those tournaments, like, the ratings are going to go down. They just are. And so at what point are, if you're farmers or you're rocket mortgage or wherever you're saying, you know, you promised us like a 1.7 rating and now we're getting a 0.8 rating. Like, I don't think we want to spend our money on this anymore. And you know, that, that's scary world for the PGA tour. A hundred percent, especially when you consider that the, you know, what, what held up the announcement and the signing of the new tv deal was these outside threat leagues and the clauses that were added to them that were based on the strength of field and i believe to be the number of top 50 players in the world that 
leave the tour puts the broadcasters in a position to either reduce their spend or tear the contract up and start over. And I don't know if it's that severe, but I'm, I'm really trying to nail down details of that. But I, I, I might have a, a sick, a real journal, journalist on that to go find that uh, those details. But it, I know that's not good for the PGA Tour. And it, where, where do you stand on what the tour should have done, should have done this past week, should currently do, what cards do they have to play, should Jay be out in front of players and media, you know, fielding questions and, you know, giving off at least a uh, the appearance of, of strength within that organization. What do you think the PGA Tour, uh, you know, should do, for lack of a better way to phrase it? I've been cracking my brain about this for the last three days, and I don't know, like, the answer. I, I mean, here's what I think. It's, this is, I admit up front, this is a stupid idea and would cause a lot of, like, uproar and uh controversy but if i were jay i would make sure i don't i can't remember if they own the hall of fame or not but i would buy the hall of fame and then i would declare the players a major the next morning i would say you decide you want to play on the pga tour or play on the live tour that's fine uh this is not you know you're not allowed to compete for this major anymore and we're declaring this a major and uh, you could grant everyone who before who played it one major, or you could just give Tiger his majors from <laughs> that. But I would say, you know what? We don't control any of the majors. Now we do. And you know what? There'd be a huge uproar of saying the PGA Tour can't declare itself a major. Like, I would say, if I were Jay, why not? Like, Arnold Palmer got to declare what were the majors, or Dan Jenkins got to declare what were the majors. Like, we're doing it. And if you don't like it, fight us on it. You know? And you know what? It would cause a lot of at least, like, it would be a, seen as like a bold, kind of ridiculous move but it would be something right it would it would at least give them some card to play if you if you're if Roy McIlroy gets to rack up majors by winning the players against a weakened field you know at least there's some more compelling reason for him and Justin Thomas to be like yeah like I want to compete for this I want to compete for all five majors I, I don't know like what else would you do there's really so so few good answers like do you rip up the entire PGA Tour uh sort of business model and say, okay, we're no longer a for a nonprofit entity. Well, that causes all kinds of problems too, because you can't run the same tournaments the way that you did. Like I, this is the kind of thing, honestly, that happens a lot in business where boardrooms start, you know, the board director starts looking around and be like, is this the right guy to lead us into the future? And I, I think Jay's got to seriously think about like, I don't even know exactly how it works if he has the unilateral power to make dramatic changes, but I would, I would do anything and everything. I'd, I'd beg, I'd say, Tiger, we're going to reinvent the whole business model and we're going to give you equity in this. Uh, we'll do literally anything to get you out on the front lines to this. You're now a future, like 30% owner in the stake of the PG tour, because we're screwed either way. If we don't do something dramatic. Yeah, it, it it's it's you know what I don't know the exact phrase. It's five o'clock in the morning on my end here, but uh, something along the lines of you know a peacetime and wartime presidents you know mm -hmm. need to fill different criteria, and this is wartime. And yeah, uh, I, I really think Jay is a a tremendous peacetime uh, president, and uh, of course commissioner literally. But it uh, it doesn't seem like this has gone great, but it it would have taken it. The enemy has been at the gates for, for years now, and now the enemy has breached the gates and is mm -hmm. uh, running around inside the castle and, and heading up towards the top where uh, where the leaders are stationed. And I don't know if they have 
a card to play or if there is anything he can go out in public and say other than like leaning on the cat. And I really do think if Tiger holds a press conference and just publicly admonishes anybody that, got, that does this and that's like the only thing that I think could like semi save it for at least a little bit, but it, man, it just feels like they're going to power through. They're going to power. If they got through this weekend with Graham McDowell being the, you know, Ian Poulter and Westwood having their clips kind of circulate of their dumbass answers to the question of morality. And like, can you ask them the same question next week without feeling like an idiot? Probably not. And then it's normal. And then like, they've literally accomplished their goal faster than they could have ever imagined. And it's thank yeah. you know, in thanks to, these stooges that have gone and take their money, waved it around, and said, oh, "I just play the golf." They're they're doing great things. It's 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 literally the playbooks playing out. I mean, everybody who is here in some ways probably deserves a little bit of a, a bonus from Liv because they just took the cannon fodder up front, yes. and and now they're like, "Hey, man! Like I was one of the people who like did the dirty work for you, essentially. Now I'm gonna go on to the U.S. Open, and it'll be blunted even more by the end of it because no one's really wants to make an entire major championship about." the morality of an event that's not even taking place at that moment. And by the time they get to Portland, like you might get a, a last dash of like the liberal media there sort of want to sort of say like, well, what about this? You know, how, how can you, you know, and, but honestly, like it's already fading. So like, I, I just don't know. I mean, maybe you, you swallow your ego if you're the tour and you're get Andy Gardner on the phone and be like, what can we work out? Get any sort of like, you know, rain capital or any sort of massive wealth people who actually care about, you know, American golf and, and say, can, what, how many billions of dollars can you float us? You know, I always kind of think about the succession plot line where like Logan Roy is like, I'm going to buy this company. And they're like, you don't have the money. He's like, oh, screw it. I'll, I'll leverage $20 billion. And I'll, it's, just, it's time for bold plays. It's time for bold plays with the PGA tour. Like they need some cash and they need it fast. And this is, a, you know, I put it semi on PGA Tour players as well to kind of take the reins in terms of being, you know, if it's the PGL or if it's whatever it, it can be in terms of getting money in the door or different format or different, you know, being informed on this is is the next thing here because your leadership is holding you back from being informed on the other options that are out there. So, you know, how, how do you you know, learn up on this. I've had players texting me like, so what is the deal with this whole thing right here? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, how do you not know this? How do you not know this? Like, this is your livelihood. And it, you know, the app, all of the sourcing we've tried to do for rumors and news over the past six months to a year has always been met with, oh, you know more than I do. I'm a, you, you know, you know more than I do. Yeah, I don't really know what's going on with any of that. It's like, how do you not know? Guys, look at what's happening to your sport right in front of you. But I, I want to know uh, from be actually being on site, what was, did you see any memorable golf today or this past week? Or is the golf a, as much of a sideshow as it certainly seems like? And while we know that they have an, an infinite runway to do this, does it feel like this is sustainable from an entertainment product? Because most of the marks received on the broadcast were overall solid, but man, I just like truly can't compel myself to care about the actual golf. And I got that feeling from even the journalists that were on site. Yeah. I mean, I watched some of the golf for sure. I watched uh, a lot of it on the stream as well, just because uh, it's a impossible course to really feel like there's no, it doesn't come back at the turn. So you can't really like, go for out for two hours and then but uh it, i didn't remember particularly anything compelling at all i mean it, it wasn't exactly like a ton of uh birdies you know how many like eight or nine guys finished uh, under par or whatever and 
there were some, you know, Schwartzel obviously like played a pretty good game tee to green, but I can't remember the single shot where I was like, wow, that was awesome. Uh, you know, it was just a lot of basic or it was a boring course. Like it wouldn't, it didn't ask them to do much other than not hit it in the fescue. Uh, and those players who didn't hit it in the fescue and made some putts were, you know, were fine. Could it be better at, I mean, I've, I've played not the pumpkin Ridge course that I got to play, but the one that's next door, the public course. And it's a cool kind of different course, Pacific Northwest course. So like maybe you could say, uh, you know, I, I remember a little bit of when Tiger uh, won the amateur there. Maybe you could say that would oh, be a fun thing to look at some different kind of shots, but like, I, it just doesn't feel like there's any stakes involved. Like no one's really, you know, grinding over a thing. I mean, what Schwartz will try to say like, yeah, you know, because of the money involved, I put so much, into this this week i could see you know preparing for these events like i prepare for majors like really grinded and i was like okay but you know and then at the same moment he was like well you know but nothing is ever going to compel it that, that's the reason why we play for those majors you know we're, that's the prestige of that nothing could ever and louis was sort of quick to be like yeah you know that nothing's ever going to even come close to the open championship even though i think he won you know what like a million 1.2 million would i be interested to see what he what his purse was when he won the open championship in uh 2010 or whatever like it, it probably was a, close to what he won today or yeah you know so i don't know it just seems really i don't want to say shitty but it just feels like it just doesn't matter like nothing even i, I was out kind of on 18th green when the it got compelling for a half second because only du uh you know made a you know, made a little you know run at a birdie putt that could have, if Schwartzel missed his, uh, you know, his par putt in the last, then it could have tied or whatever. That was like the only moment in the whole tournament where it was like, it felt like anything mattered. Uh, and I think that's kind of, you know, you had to isolate everything down to literally like the last three shots of the tournament for anything to sort of matter. And I'm sure like some, if some live golf person was listening to this, they'd be like, that's super unfair. Like, you know, you, you got to give this a chance. You got to let it have time to sort of matter, whatever. Okay. Like, you know, maybe you're right, but I'm just telling you what I saw the first go around, which was like, it was just kind of boring golf wise. The, the event was better overall than the golf. And I think honestly, like if you were running this as a sort of, you know, confidence game to convince the world that Saturday Arabia was a, a great place, like, you don't really care about the golf that much. You just like anybody, anytime anybody ever comes to one of these things is like, man, what a fun time that was. And we had to pay so little money for tickets and everything was like awesome. A cool concert afterwards. And I like hanging out with golf, on a golf course. That's kind of fun. That that's a great win for you. Hmm. 1.3 million Louis Tazen for the 2010 uh, open championship, he, open championship yeah. win. Um, what? 1.27 this <laughs> <laughs> so. very cool very cool yeah, yeah. it uh I, I will say i'm going to point people towards your article on espn.com which I, I know you've you've put out on social media as well but only kind of hesitantly because it does just bum me out like to read uh a lot of the answers you get here you know with also some of the people you you spoke about and and why this matters and why these close political uh, geopolitical uh, issues matter directly with what we're watching on the screen and they cannot be separated as badly as some people want to separate politics and sport. But I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about who you spoke to uh, in this process and uh, how you went about kind of summarizing that in terms of uh, a sporting event you were also covering. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I, the, the 9-11 United, Families United, uh, sent out a letter yesterday directed to all the American golfers, essentially saying like, are you aware that like we're involved in an active lawsuit against the government of Saudi Arabia for their alleged complicity in 9-11? And, you know, I had read certainly some about this in the past, you know, the, they have, um, basically the laws granting governments immunity, you know, in lawsuits have sort of prevented families who had, you know, family members die because of the terrorist attacks from seeking any sort of, you know, judgment against the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And they've fought and scraped and scraped and scraped for this, these cases to move forward. And they have still, like they haven't been thrown out of court. Remember the a federal judge uh, just last year, I think uh, agreed to sort of let one kind of continue to move forward. And so, Terry Strada, who's the sort of head of the group, I called her and said, you know, would you talk a little bit more about um, why this letter and stuff? And she said, you know, it, this, it feels like a stomach punch, essentially, like they sold us out, uh, like an absolute betrayal to see these guys over there just basically saying we're proud to help Saudi Arabia, you know, sports wash its image while we're unable to get any sort of, you know, essentially like compensation not even just like financial but like acknowledgement of the fact that you know Saudi Arabia had an active program uh that trained jihadists and you know a lot of it was connected to people in the government and you know a lot of that sort of I would say I was like well isn't that some of that is sort of in dispute and Terry was like no absolutely not Kevin like it, you look at the sort of declassified intelligence reports and this stuff is fact now. And so I kind of spent the rest of the afternoon reading up on it. I was like, damn, like I, as an American citizen, I feel like, you know, I knew some of this and, and a lot of it you sort of see just popping into Twitter streams here and there like, oh yeah, the, you know, Saudis did 9-11. Well, you know, when you do the reading on it, you do the, some of the reading on that. So they like the 9-11 report, like it starts to feel like, oh my God, this isn't a conspiracy. Like this is stuff that actually really we ought to be talking about and you know it's hard to sort of sit there and watch guys laugh and spray each other champagne and hit golf balls when you're have someone who says you know yeah my husband was a big phil mickelson fan and he loves watching phil and i can't imagine like what he would think now because he died in when the north tower fell and you know basically we just feel like these people sold out our country for you know for money when we've been struggling for years to try to sort of seek some restitution from this. And, you know, I also I, I had a couple of people sort of literally people who were like expats from Saudi Arabia reach out to me throughout the week and say like, hey, you should really not take this spin seriously about how well the overall progress is, is a better point. Like I had tweeted this article from the Atlantic that I had sent you previously and it sort of weighed like, well, you know, obviously there's a lot of bad stuff in here, and, but you know, there's some progressive things too. And so I was like, you know, please read this to my Twitter followers. And I, I had a couple of people who were literally like Saudi just and say like, you know what, like you need to talk to actual like people who were involved in some of this stuff and not just take like that article for, you know, face value. And so I got on the phone with, you know, a woman who is a human rights activist whose sister was imprisoned for literally advocating for women to be able to drive in Saudi Arabia. She was kidnapped in the United Arab Emirates by 
Saudi officials and brought back to sort of stand charges for terrorism just for advocating for women to be able to drive and for to drop the male guardianship uh, rules, which basically say that no Saudi women can work, can uh, leave the country to travel, can get married without permission of their father or their husband for their entire lives, not just for like until they reach 18, but they're, she said, essentially treated like minors until they, you know, die. And so her name is Lena Afalu. And her sister was someone who's been nominated for, you know, the Nobel Peace Prize twice. Like she's basically on a permanent travel ban in Saudi Arabia. And she was, she basically kind of, you know, really, I don't, I don't want to say lectured me because it was very kind, but she was like, don't buy this spin that like, there's this like this progressive, you know, movement. Like that's all narrative that MBS like wants to believe. And that's part of the reason that he holds soft power that you know he came to she was like he's a criminal he came to power because of a coup and so you know listening to people who for whom this is real this is not like i saw some women in restaurants so she was made the point of like do you think that greg norman talked to any of those women in restaurants because if greg norman had talked to any of those women in the restaurants they might have been in trouble with the state they might have you know been arrested or been you know charged with something like those are all real things this isn't like fantasy that I'm sort of, or conspiracy that I'm sort of making up. And so when you talk to those kind of people, I think when you do that kind of reporting, you feel like, oh my God, like, what am I, you know, what am I seeing unfold here? And why, Graham made, Graham McDowell made the point earlier in the week of like, you know, I know you guys hate it when we say we're not politicians, but it's true, whatever. Aren't you human beings? What, what sort of responsibility do you have as a human being to inform yourself about the world? And if you tell me that you have no responsibility, that's fine. But I feel like I have a little bit different standard for my own self of like, I feel like it's important to actually educate yourself about what's going on in the world. And I don't think I could sort of stomach like just blowing off like, eh, whatever. And you know what? If anyone out there is like, you're lying, whatever. Part of the reason that I became a journalist is because I wanted to do some greater good in the world because I didn't want to just, you know, vacuum up money. There's plenty of people that I know who like went into, you know, investment or law or whatever, and for whom business, for whom money was what really mattered. Guess what? I didn't choose that path. And so for anyone to sort of say like, you'd take the money. Nope. Actually, my entire career is pretty much evidence that I wouldn't have done that. So, you know, that stuff kind of gets under my skin a little bit that not everyone has zero morals when it comes to this kind of stuff. And for anyone who says like, you know, you would, of course you would take the money. No, you're basically telling on yourself and saying that you would. So that's, that's where it gets me a little bit hot. Damn. I don't know how to, I don't know how to follow <laughs> any of that. I don't know. I was going to say like, just that the, the spraying champagne thing, like it, like on its own, like very good idea of like to wrap up an event in the context of like what this all means. And, and to see the dudes up there grinning that just made, astronomical amounts of money spraying champagne all over each other was just you know in the context of everything you just said is like that's this is what's going on like this is what this is and this is what the future of pro golf looks like and uh listen i'm, I'm gonna be bold and I'm, I'm gonna state it i don't like it i, I know that's gonna be controversial out there but i, I don't <laughs> i don't like it but uh we do gotta I, let you, know, you go ahead yeah this idea probably that like we're somehow like advocating for the pga tour like you and i have both had like contentious interactions with pga tour people where you know they were pissed about something we tweeted or something we said whatever we're we're sure telling dick riders for the pga tour <laughs> anyway as you guys have used the phrase throughout the week and that you know 
I cover people. A lot of people have said to me, like, why don't you write about the NBA in China? Why don't you ask President Biden about this? You know why? Because I cover golf. That's my job. This is my corner of the world to sort of write about what's going on in the world of golf. And so I'm happy to sort of uh, explain what I think are important issues. And here's the truth. You're right about the champagne stuff is that probably is the future. But I don't want anybody to go into this and pretend like they can be naive about it. Like we can, you can have, I don't, I'm not demanding anybody have my opinions on this kind of stuff. Like if you're good with this, that's fine. I, I don't care. I'm not going to sort of say you have to support the vision of sports that I'm, I, I do or, you know, in, that you do. But at least know, you know, my job is to sort of inform and to talk to people who just present the sides that I think are important. And I think hopefully we've done that. I think a lot of people in media didn't see this coming. And it sort of feels like a huge shockwave to the world of golf. And, you know, at least, you know, anybody who follows you or I or listens to us can't sort of say like, well, I don't, I don't know where this came from. Like we've been talking about this for a year, if not two years. Yeah, it's uh, it's mayhem. But uh, I do got to run to the airport and catch a flight. But KVV, I know you got to travel today as well. Thank you very much for uh, for your insights from on the ground in London. And uh, will you be going to Portland? I will not be in Portland. I'll be at the US Open next week. Uh, hopefully, maybe we can you know get, return sometime to do wacky dumb impressions, and I can uh, step <laughs> off my soapbox. But uh, thank you for uh, having me on and, uh, and crack on. Thanks for the time, bud. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 